Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, who loves getting letters? Now, I'm not talking about bills, but do you remember? I mean, I haven't got one for a really long time. Let me be honest. But, you know, but who loves, you know, like your handwritten on the front of the letter is like your name and you open it up and there's an actual letter from someone to you. Now, who remembers receiving one? Who remembers writing one? Yeah, okay, there's a few of us that remember that. I remember my very first letter that I ever wrote. I was in grade five. And it was, to another, it was to a girl, and her name was Elizabeth Rant. And I remember the, the, sun, the sky was blue, the sun was out, the birds were chirping in the, in the trees, and I wrote a letter to her. We were about to go out and about to play cricket at reset. And I wrote a letter, and it went something like this. Hi, Liz, I like you, Dave. Now, I'd love to say I actually wrote the Dave part. I actually can't remember. I may have been so nervous that it just went, hi, Liz, I like you. And then, and then we all went out from class, and I gave the letter to one of my friends who walked across the playground and gave that letter to one of her friends, and then her friend gave the letter to, to Liz. It was kind of like old school drug dealing. I mean, not that any of us here would know what that's like. But, but I remember, and I remember, you know, you, you try to play cricket with one eye attention over here to seeing what would happen. And, and I remember her opening the letter, and, and we never really talked. I mean, let's be honest, we never really talked. We were never really even in the same vicinity at other, but we were official. And we dated for one whole week until my parents found out, and Dad went, you are too young, son, to have a girlfriend. And so I wrote my second letter, and this letter went like this, Dear Liz, you're dumped, Dave. Like, I mean, uh, don't judge me, all right? I'm, a, I'm in grade five, and I was cold and heartless, okay? And, and so, do you remember getting letters? You know, letters are significant. Letters are powerful. And they often mean something really special to us. I remember when Shadi and I started dating, and, and I was living in Melbourne, and Shadi went with her family to Italy, and we would write letters. I mean, this is, this is I'm going to date myself here. This is pre-email. So for some of us, we just tuned out. For the rest of us, like, yeah, I remember those days. You know, and, 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 and so I would, we would, I would write a letter via pen on a piece of paper. I would fold it, put it in an envelope, stick a bunch of stamps on, this, on the front of it, put it in a mailbox, and then it would disappear for a week, and then it would arrive immediately to Shadi, and then she would open it, read it, hug it, you know, caress it, you know, and then she would write a letter back, and then she would stick it in an envelope, and with a bunch of stamps on the front, she would put it in a mailbox, and a week or so later, I mean, this, this process would take three weeks from the day that the letter would leave my hand to the moment where I would go to my letterbox, and I would open the letterbox, discover that there was a letter from Shadi, and I would grab it, and I would walk inside, and I would read it. And then I would caress it, and then I would read it again, and then I would put it in my side drawer. And, and, and letters are significant. Letters can be really powerful. And oftentimes, they mean something really special to us. This morning, we start a series 
called Letters to the Church. Uh, it's, it's around this idea of, of a bunch of letters that, that the Apostle John wrote to a bunch of churches in the start of the book of Revelation. Uh, and, I, and I wonder, you know, if God was going to send our church, Gateway Logan, if he was going to write us a letter, what would the letter say? I mean, what would be in it? What, what kind of words of encouragement might be there? You know, what, would, what words of caution might be in it? Maybe, maybe there might be even some words of rebuke, or maybe there might be even some words of challenge. What would God say to us if he put pen to paper, stamped mail in the letterbox, and we received it? So as I said, we're going to start by looking at the book of Revelation. And for some of us, as I say the, book, the word, the book of Revelation, let me just clarify. It's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. There's no S's at the end of it. Anyways, uh, yeah. and so, so for some of us, as I say those words, some of us get really excited. But some of us also get really nervous because there's some stuff that happens at the end of the book of Revelation that, you know, just is a little out there. And for, so for some of us, we get scary. Uh, we, we, get, we get worried and concerned and we get a little bit scared by it because it, unfortunately, whilst it is such a powerful book, it is the most misused, most misinterpreted and wrongly exegeted book in the whole of the Bible. See, a lot of people read it through the lens of today. We grab it and we, we read it and we transpose the book of Revelation through events and people and things that are happening in our time and in, in our place. And we use them to try and explain the book of Revelation. But what we've got to keep in mind as we look through this book, what we've got to keep in mind is that this book was written to the first century church. It was written to a bunch of ordinary, normal people like you and me who found themselves in churches just like ours, but a really long time ago. But the thing that I love about the Bible, the thing that I love about this book is that it is still so relevant for us today. So as we, we look at this book as we start looking at the, the beginning of Revelation, let, I just want to paint a little bit of context. See, Jesus is writing through his disciple John. And he's living, he's, John finds himself, he's living in a little island off the coast of Turkey. And, and always now modern day Turkey. And he's writing and it's around about 95 AD. So it's not many years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he's sitting there one day and, and God comes to him, or Jesus comes to him in a vision, and he writes down seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, now modern day Turkey. We can see the churches just up on the screen behind me. And we, he's writing to, to these churches who were facing many difficult times that were, where uh, different degrees of persecution were breaking out, and they were living in an ever-changing world. You know what I love about the Bible? What I love about the Bible is that it is still incredibly relevant. See, I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in different times where there's different degrees of persecution breaking out against the church around the world. And we live in an ever-changing world. And yet into it, Jesus writes a message to his church that is still so relevant for us today and still resounds with us. That God wants to do something through this into our church and into our lives. But to understand the depths of Jesus' love for his church, we've got to understand that the heart behind the message. 
that we need to understand the context that, that every different church in every different city found themselves in. See, each letter reveals Jesus' intimate knowledge about what was happening physically, but also spiritually within each of these cities. And it contains a prophetic promise. A prophetic promise for their future that if they will listen and if they will respond like God wants them to respond, then he will bless them. See, these letters are a timely reminder to people in places that, that these people, that these places of influence in this culture over those cities don't hold ultimate power over those cities. That there was one who was dead, who is now alive, that still holds the keys to life and death and rules and reigns over their city, just like he still rules and reigns over our city, the city of Logan. So as we walk through, as we walk through these letters, we walk through this series, my prayer for us is that we'll find three things. That we'll have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. That we will be encouraged as a church that we might be encouraged as individuals and that there might be a call, a challenge for repentance. See, we find Jesus constantly talking to groups of people, constantly talking to church, and he says, if you will hear my voice and respond and repent, then I've got a better future for you. See, the one thing that I will eternally love about God is that there is always hope. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the moments that we find ourselves in, that there is always hope. And as I was just praying this morning, I felt that was for someone this morning. That what you need to understand, what you need to grab hold of before we even get into everything this morning, is that with Jesus, there is always hope. So my prayer that as we walk through this series together, as we walk through one of these letters this morning, is that God might challenge us, that God might change our church for the better, that, that we might find a new place of surrender, a new repentance, all because God has something better for you. That we might find a new voice, a new passion in our worship, a new surrender in our praise to see a new revelation ready all right so let's open up to revelations chapter three this is a really easy one if you grab your bible and open anywhere and turn right you'll pretty much get it if you get to the book of uh you know that where the maps and the in my the, the table of weights and measures you've gone a little bit too far turn left just a little bit and we're gonna we're gonna read of the the, the letter to the church in philadelphia it goes like this chapter three verse seven to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and you have kept your word and have not denied my name. I will make those in the synagogue of Satan who claim to be uh, to claim to be Jews, though they are not, 
but they'll, but are liars. I will make them come down and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming, that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that you will not lose your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in my temple. Never again will they lead me. The context of this letter that we just read together is it was written to the church in Philadelphia, not the American Philadelphia, but the kind of the old school, original OG version of Philadelphia. And it was established by, I just need to check, established by a guy by the name of Atlas II. He was the king of Pergamon. I don't even know how to say it, so if you just say it with confidence, we'll all believe it. And, and, and he... And he had a great love for his family, particularly had a great love for his brother. And so he named it Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. And it was a really important city. It had a really important purpose because it was incredibly strategic. See, Atlas found that, that the city founded that the city was to be an outpost to reach an uncivilized parts of the east, to show them the splendor of Greece. And it succeeded. This city succeeded in its job. In fact, it, was, it did its job so well that by 1819, that the, they changed their language from the native tongue of the area, but to the language of, of the Greeks. And to here we find this context, where Jesus is sitting with the disciple John, and he's penning and he's writing these letters. In, in verse 7, we find that it starts off by saying, that these are the words to whom who is holy and true who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. What I love here is that Jesus wants to establish one thing. So before we get into the rest of it, he wants to establish one thing, that he and he alone is the true Messiah. That he is the one that holds power over these cities. That whilst it may not always look like it, he is the one that holds ultimate power. He's the one that dictates and gives and receive, and that we can receive salvation from and eternal life from. Because it's, it's not about how good we are or how hard we work or how much we strive or what we do more or less or whatever else. And that is the true story of Easter, isn't it? That God came down with skin on. And he lived and he dwelt among us. And he, and he lived and he lived a perfect life. And he died an atoning, died an atoning death on a cross. Not because of what he did, but because of the sins and the junk and the mistakes that we all make. See, that's the story of Easter. And, and it, that it reminds us that whilst Friday might look like a setback when Jesus died... It was really just a set up for what Jesus was going to do when he rose again three days later. So here we find Jesus reminding the church that no matter what goes on in their lives around their city or around the world, the God has control. That nothing is impossible say those words, nothing's impossible for God. 
do you really believe that? I'm not talking about head, you know, head knowledge where we read stories in the Bible or hear someone else's story, but, but I'm talking about this kind of heart knowledge of we know that God is in control. In those areas in our life, in the moments that we face where it seems like it's out of control, do we really believe that God, for God, nothing is impossible? For many of you, you know the story of quite a few years ago, sitting in my lounge room, I felt God calling us to go and plant a church in Logan. And it was a God dream that God, that one day we would do this, that God would bless it, that God would God would grow a community in, in our city. And it seemed exciting, but seemed exciting until the Monday after the Sunday of my last Sunday where I finished and resigned. And then I woke up that Monday and I went, oh, I don't know where, when, or how this is all going to happen. I just thought it was a really good idea. And so we, we jumped, and God said jump, and we jumped. And then now what do we do? Two years passed. And let me be honest. There was many moments over those two years where I wondered, does God really have it all in control? There was really moments over those two years where I wondered, is Really, really, really is nothing impossible for God because this is what I thought that you called us to do. But I find myself cleaning swimming pools, not starting a church. But see, deep down inside, every single moment when I wondered, deep down inside, it was like there was a little, a little flicker of light. And, and that light continued to flicker into flame. There was those little moments and those, those little flickers were there because I remembered that God was faithful and I remember seeing God's faithfulness time and time again in little and bigger ways in my life. But I questioned and I still wondered, was really nothing impossible for God? But then Wednesday, the 18th of April, at roughly around about 7 p.m., Wednesday, the 18th of April, 2018, this happened. We were standing at McKenzie at the annual general meeting. No photo? No photo. That didn't happen. And so what it did happen, though, is it looked like there's supposed to be a photo up there of a screen and that said that Dave Morrow was going to be appointed as a campus pastor for a Logan campus for a season of five years. And I remember in that moment, as I sat there with Shadi and my kids, in that moment as I sat there and I remembered that God was faithful and that nothing really is impossible for God. This morning I want to ask you a question. What seems impossible in your life for God right now? that a prodigal son or daughter might come back to Jesus. Maybe you need a job and you've been trying, but it just doesn't seem to work. Maybe you're trying to buy a home. Maybe you're just simply trying to rent a home and it seems way too hard right now. Maybe you need some financial provision. Maybe you need a moment of breakthrough in your mental health. Maybe there's some hidden sins that you try to kick, but it seems to kick your butt every time. Maybe you just need God to open your right next door. 
What is it that seems impossible for you right now? See, God wants to say to you right now, just like he did this week as I was flicking through Facebook and that, that little memory from Wednesday the 18th of April 2018 popped up and I saw the picture of Sadie and I and a screen in the background. And it reminded me again that our God is faithful, that nothing is impossible for So what I want us to do this morning, before we continue on in this message, is if there's some things in your life this morning that you feel like are impossible, that you need God to break through because you can't do it alone, then I just felt this morning we're going to stop in the middle of all of this for you. Because God wants to remind you again that nothing is impossible for Him. So this morning, if you've got some areas that you just need God's breakthrough, that seem impossible, we just shoot your hand up and we're going to pray for you this morning. Awesome, 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 awesome. Hey, why don't we just reach out to someone near us that's got their hand raised? Why don't we together as a church community, as family, why don't we just pray for breakthrough in each of these people's lives? Come on, church, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you that whilst things might seem impossible. God, we thank you that through you, all things are possible. So God, we want to pray over these situations right now, these moments, these people, these circumstances. God, these things that seem just too big, too impossible. God, I want to pray right now for breakthrough. God, I want to pray right now. God, that you might flicker a hope again. God, that you might flicker new life again. God, that you might fan into flame. God, memories of when you have been faithful so we can hold on to. God, I want to pray for every person this morning. God, we thank you that if they're not dead, then you're not done. Jesus, we give you all of these people, God, all of the moments and the worries and the concerns and the things. God, this morning, we place them in your hands. You're trustworthy and you're faithful hands. In Jesus' name. The story, not the story, the the letter continues, and it says in verse 8, I I know your deeds, and see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. You know what I love about this? Notice what it doesn't say. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I know your best laid intentions. He doesn't say, I know your heart. I I know that moment where you really wanted to do something, but you kind of just didn't. Yeah, he doesn't say, I, I, I know your best laid plans and ideas and thoughts that you just never kind of got around in. He says, I notice your, I know your deeds. So what Jesus is trying to get across to us in this moment is that what we do matters. Why Because what we do impacts people and people are important to Jesus. 
Let me say that again. What we do matters. Why? Because what we do impacts people and people are important to Jesus. I invite up Heather this morning. Heather, do you want to come up and grab a couch? Heather runs our Logan Care Ministry here, impacting a whole lot of different people. And uh, I've invited Heather up this morning. Heather, you can take that one. You do, otherwise we can't hear you. Uh, Every single week, there's a lot of people that come to the doors of this church on a Thursday to come and receive some help from our local community. Heather, do you want to share with us a little snapshot of what does a Thursday look like? What happens? Yeah, sure. Um, Can I just say to start with, um, starting a ministry, uh, a new ministry in a church has been a real challenge for me. But, you know, I know God walks beside me every Thursday and every other day, so that's why I keep doing it. Yeah, so um, on Thursday, we run our on-track ministry, and as the name suggests, um, it helps people get back on track. And how we do that is we give them bags of food, groceries, uh, fresh fruit and veg, uh, meat and bread. So over the last 12 weeks this year, um, we have been helping out 18 families, and that consists of 38 adults and 49 children. In total, 87 people. And let me tell you, yeah, uh, we've got people on a waiting list to get onto our program. Yeah, so and they don't want to leave. <laughs> so um, most of the families come to us through our connection that we've built through our school chaplains and just in the local schools and through our church family as well. So they come and connect with our team here on a Thursday and uh, over a period of uh, five fortnights, um, we build a relationship with them, we support them and uh, pray for them and just encourage them to keep going because a lot of these families um, come from uh, really vulnerable situations and they've been through a lot of hardship, and it's, it's long-term hardship. So um, it's quite amazing to hear their stories, and, it, and it's very eye-opening to hear what goes on in their life. So when they come in here, we provide a safe place for them um, where they can share their story, and um, we, we can offer them some assistance, not just with the food, but with friendship, and um, ask them to go to the counselling centre if that's what they want, Um, Tell them about our op shop, tell them about the services we have here at church, about our 9am service, kids club, youth, all that sort of stuff. So we're offering them, um, you know, a a safe place to come and find out about the love of Jesus. So yeah, one of the families that we've been helping over the last few weeks um, is a family of nine and there's um, six adults and three children all living in one house. So I don't know about you, but I live alone and I don't know how they use the toilet, get in the shower. (laughs) So, yeah, it's hard. Um, And the couple that I've connected with, they moved in with Gran to help her out and look after her um, because her health was failing. And then they became instant parents to three school-age kids. And um, they are unemployed and found it really hard to find work. Um, So they've just been sharing the hardship of that of, um, and what they've been going through um, of, you know, becoming parents 
parents, I hadn't been parents before, and um, how hard it is to get a job. And I said to the lady, um, she's going for a few interviews, I'll pray for you. And um, it probably was just, you know, a passing comment. Two weeks later, she came in and I said, how did you go with your job interviews? And she said, I got the job, it's part-time, and um, but it's a foot in the door. And it's a job she hasn't done before. And I said to her, you know, I prayed for you to get that specific job. And she just looked at me and smiled. But, you know, I see that as that's us planting a seed and we're just going to watch that grow. And we don't know where, how that will end up for her, but hopefully one day she'll remember us and, you know, and, um, you know, think about. I hope that she went home and said, hmm, that lady prayed for me. What's that all about? <laughs> I want to I find out more. Yeah, so I just want to say... Um, that it's, it's a real privilege to be able to help these people out and um, this journey here at this church will continue. Even if it kills me, I will keep doing it. But um, the thing is, uh, we need lots of people to help and um, I can't do it alone. I have a couple of really dedicated people who help me on Thursdays, um, but we need more people and we need people to go and pick up groceries from Mackenzie because that's where our care centre is need people to sort out the stuff when it gets back here and we usually have two car loads full every Thursday because of the amount of people we're now serving and um, and we need people who can connect with those that come through the door and just sit and have a chat with them and make them feel welcome make them feel special give them a, a hope and um, you know we're not just going to stop there with um, helping the families that come through the church it's my dream to help um, there's some vulnerable women out in the community and um, they're trying to make a fresh start in life and we want to help them as well. But I need people to come on board, jump on board and help me. So if you want to find out more about care ministry, come and see me. Forget the cakes, come and see me first and um, we can talk about how you can help, even if it's once a month or once every two months if you've got a roster day off work. Um, you might be able to come and share that joy with me, um, yeah, and help spread the good news of Jesus. Yeah. Hey, uh, before you go, Heather, oh. thank you so much. I, I, you know, one of the one of the joys and the challenges of this ministry. I remember sitting with Pam, uh, with not Pam, with <laughs> Heather, really early on, and as a bunch of us been praying and as we've been talking about it. I remember early on, as Heather was going, she was feeling a little bit deflated, going, yeah. "We just don't have a lot of people coming yet," and I'm like. Just give it time. Yeah, but we don't have a lot of people coming yet. Yeah. Just give it time. Yeah, but you don't understand. Like we want to, we want to serve. We want to be able to help people in their in their moments of needs, and they're just not coming. I'm like, it's just, just, just. What do you say? Eighty-seven people yeah. have this come year. through it this year. Yeah. The last three months yeah. have come through our church, are receiving practical help, but also the support that we can provide as we gather around them. You know, as Heather said. Maybe you've got some time and you want to be part of this incredible ministry, meeting people really, really practically in their moments of needs. But yeah. Heather, thank you so much for leading it. Thank you for so much for cheering it on and for championing this. Yeah. Can we just reach out and we're just going to quickly pray for, mm. for Heather this morning. God, I want to thank you for Heather. God, I thank you that, God, because of her, because of how you're using her, God, we're going to see people in heaven. But God, we're going to see hope brought down to homes right now across our city. 
God, I want to pray for favor. God, for wisdom. God, for leadership. God, I want to thank you for what you are doing through her life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heather. I know your deeds and what we do matters. Because what we do impacts people and people matter to God. See, what we do with the hands reveals what's in our heart. You know what Michael does in our, in our campus and in his prayer and food van that meets down at, at Marsden Library every Wednesday night of every single week, feeding the poor and the, 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 the homeless in our community matters. You know, our neighbors' ministry is going to be reaching migrants and refugees all around our city matters. What you do is you walk across your streets and you walk across into people's uh, lives around you matters. What we're going to do in our community impact projects that we're going to be doing next term, which you'll hear more about, matter. Why? Because people matter to God. And so it matters. See, Jesus was encouraging his church because he knew and he saw what they were doing. And he saw the lives that they were impacting. You see, God's desire for people is always that we would be a witness, that we'd be a light on a hill, that we would love people uniquely because we are loved uniquely by God. I, in fact, I love James chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this, But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I'll show you my faith by my deeds. But then the letter continues in verse 8. At the start of verse 8, it goes on to say that I, or sorry, at the end of verse 8, it goes on to say, I know your deeds and I have placed before you an open door that shall not be shut. I know that you have little strength and you, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Just let that sink in for a moment. God knows. See, let that sink in for a moment to realize that the, the God of the universe knows what you are going through, knows when we're weary. He knows when we're tired. He knows you. He knows our struggles. He knows our joys. He knows when we laugh. He knows when we cry. He knows the challenge that we face. See, see, one of the challenges that we face in the Western world is that we think of God as a God who wants to bless us. You know, the health, wealth, wise thing. But, but you know, and so we, we pray prayers at times that kind of go, God, let us, let your hand be on me and keep me from harm and also be free from pain. But what happens if that's what we believe, that God is simply here for us like a magic genie who would just give us everything and keep us all safe and healthy and whole? What happens when we go through pain? What happens when we lose someone significant to our lives? What happens when life just doesn't work out like what we would like life to work? out what happens to our faith then 
I've seen too many people walk away from the faith or give up on their faith or question, question or wonder and, and wrestle and struggle because we live in a Western world who has a perspective of Christianity, but it's not the perspective that Jesus ever said. In fact, in the book of John, where John writes, the same John that writes this book of Revelation, Jesus says these words, I have told you these things, so that you may be of peace, or you may have peace. In this world, you what? Will have trouble. You know what I love, though? Is it doesn't stop there. That we don't just go, oh, that's depressing. All right, church, have a great week, and see you next Sunday. I love the fact that it goes on to say, and Jesus says, but take I've overcome the world. I love the fact that he says here to us, he says that you will, that you will face troubles, that you will chase, face challenges, but take heart because I have already ultimately won. See, the challenge for us all is that how many of us are willing to pray a prayer, God use me no matter the cost. Oh, church, honestly, are we willing to pray that, that prayer? God, use me, no matter the cost. You know what? There is people in our church who pray that prayer. But more importantly, who live out that prayer. People like Aaron Chandini Gibson. Chandini hosted up the front this morning. And, and Aaron Chandini are some of our local beyond workers. And they've given their lives and they've given their finances. They've given their, their, their whole family and everything to what God has called them to do. To be part of an organization called Power to Change. Which reaches university students all around our nation with the good news of Jesus. And they prayed a prayer one day that said, God use us no matter the cost. Will we? See, the, the church in Philadelphia had succeeded in, oh, sorry, the city of Philadelphia had succeeded in their, their missionary endeavors to convert the Laodicean culture and adopt it into the Greek lifestyle. And now God is coming, Jesus is coming to the church in that city and saying that I want you to do the same thing. But this time I want you to be missionary people who model a community of love, of radical love that accepts everyone and loves everyone who comes through those doors. Loves them in such a way that it will draw people to the gospel and they will turn over their lives to Jesus. But he knows, Jesus knows they're tired and he wants to encourage them. So verse 10 goes on to say this. So, since you have kept my commands and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come where the whole world will be tested in the inhabitants of the earth. See, Jesus here recognizes the faithfulness of that church. And in the midst of all the struggles and the challenges they were facing, he knew and he saw their faithfulness and he said, in my timing, I will bless you. See, what I love about God is that nothing goes unnoticed for him. And when we're weak and when we're under pressure, 
And when we're tired and we want to give up, God gives strength to the weak. If we hold on and we don't give up. See, one of my favorite verses, Galatians 6, 9, says this, Let us not grow weary in doing good, but at the proper time or at the proper season, that you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, I can tell you so many stories of people here who have not given up. Not given up on hopes and dreams. Not given up on loved ones and family members. I could tell stories of just what has happened in our church in the last couple of weeks. Of a couple who would not give up on their daughter. And because of a bunch of circumstances, they finally were able to bring her daughter to church. And she's never stepped foot in church before since. She sat in our church over Easter having never stepped foot in church before. And at the end of the service, I gave an opportunity for people to give their lives to Jesus. And I could see in the, in the eyes of a mum and dad who said, please, Jesus, let this be her day. And that was her day. See, there's something, church, there's something about not giving up. That in God's right season, we will reap a harvest. And here was a faithful church. In fact, there's only, out of these seven letters that are written, there's only two churches who don't receive rebuke. They only receive encouragement. And the church of Philadelphia was one of those churches. And in verse 11 and 12, I'm going gonna, gonna to finish here. It says this, and I, have, and I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in my temple of God. And never again will they leave it. See, Jesus finishes his letter here with one final reminder. He says, I got, this is where I'm finishing. So I started, I started over here. Reminding you that I am the Messiah, that I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And I've come to give every single person, every single mo every single human being from this moment to the end of time, hope and a fresh life. Salvation, forgiveness for our sins. And he finishes over this side. And he says, I want to remind you that I'm coming back. <laughs> and do you know how I'm coming back and what I'm coming back to do? And do you know who I'm coming back for? I'm coming back for my church. I'm coming back for my bride. I'm coming back for my people who will love me and have given their lives to me. You see, what we've got to realize is this, and we know it. I mean, this life is temporary, isn't it? It's, it's here today, gone tomorrow. It disappears like a mist. You know, we know that this isn't the end game. You know, just getting more and achieving more and bigger houses, bigger house, bigger cars, whatever. You know, those things just aren't, in the grand scheme of things, they're just not really that important. That this life isn't the end game. That eternity with Him is. Where there'll be with him one day where there will be no more sickness and there will be no more pain and there will be no more death and there will be no more suffering and there will be no more brokenness and there will be no more grief. So when Jesus encourages his church, the 
very last things that come out of his mouth is he said, what I want you to do, I want to encourage you to hold on. Don't give up. Keep holding on to me because I've got you. Keep grabbing out to keep reaching out to me because I so love you. And if you do, your name I will write personally in the book of life. Jesus finishes here with an encouragement. Don't get distracted. Don't lose focus. Don't give up. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.